0: Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount. This is Rob Santiago. You're about to listen to a sermon that I entitled, You'll Never Walk Alone, where we observe the story of David of Bathsheba and the consequences of his sin. I hope you guys enjoy this message and be blessed by it. Thank you. Amen. Church, we're so glad that you're joining us online. I want to thank you for just tuning in. I know you're probably sending it out to friends. Send it out now. Send out that link. We want people to join. I have a word that I'd like to share with you guys this evening, Um, and I I titled this sermon, You'll Never Walk Alone, because I believe that once you have God in your life, you're never alone, amen? But before we get started and we dive into that, I just want to pray. So those of you that are out there watching, if you would just lift your hands in prayer and join with me. Father God, we thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to just preach your word online. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that everybody that is out there watching, and everybody that is listening, Lord, that when I read your scriptures, that when I read your word, Father God, that it would penetrate their hearts. It would penetrate their soul, Father God. Lord, we ask that you would just change lives this evening, Lord, even online, Father God, as people watch in their living rooms, as people watch in their bedrooms or on their phone, Lord, that they would hear the voice of God. I ask that you use me, Father, and that your spirit would be, would be felt even online. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Church, I'm reminded when I was young in the Lord that I learned so much, but forgot so much about God. I would learn little things about God and then forget these massive teachings about God. And for example, in my early walk with God, I remembered I was struggling with some anxiety and worry. And I didn't know what to do. I, I I was just kind of lost. I was kind of just roaming around trying to figure out things on my own. But I remember even picking up my Bible at the time and I would read a verse in Joel, chapter two, verse 27 to 29. It says, this, it says, the day of the Lord... And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. When I was young in the Lord, I learned that you could, you could feel God's presence. I learned that you could have the spirit of God inside of you. But when I was faced with opposition... I would just fail to realize those things. I would fail to, you know, call on God and and, and rely on the Holy Spirit. I would fail to see all the blessings that he's given me. See, there are a lot of circumstances that will make you forget about the promises of God. But there are a lot of scriptures that show us that God is not going to abandon us. It's in his character that he remains faithful with us. I'm reminded of the time as Jesus, before the couple days he was going to be on the cross. In John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Scriptures like this remind me that there's a helper. The Holy Spirit is with me and the Holy Spirit should, should actually control my actions. The Holy Sp- I should be relying on the Holy Spirit to move on my behalf, amen? There was a time where I struggled with anxiety as I stated earlier. And I don't know where this was coming from. I was a teacher in the church. I, I knew the scriptures front and back. I, I, uh, I, I, would, I would teach. I would, I would actually go to church all the time. I'd worship God. I'd pray. But for some reason, there was a heavy attack on my life. The enemy tried to just really push me down, and he, he inserted anxiety into my life. And I remember it became so bad that I couldn't even sleep at night. And I struggled for several weeks without sleeping. I developed insomnia. And I remember my wife at the time, I would just tell her like, babe, I'm sorry. I'm going through a hard time. I don't know what's happening to me. I think it's a chemical imbalance. So... What did I do? I I, I called my doctor and I, I told him, can I, you know, can I come down? And he said, yeah, I made an appointment. And he sees me and he starts, you know, kind of examining me. He's touching my neck and he's looking at my, you know, he's just looking at everything, making sure I'm okay, making sure I'm not on drugs. And I just remember sitting in that doctor's office wondering, man, I hope he gives me something to help me with this anxiety so I can get some sleep. See, church, it started to mess me up. I couldn't work anymore. I remember I walking into work, I was a zombie. I had bags under my eyes. I, I remember just being so tired as, as noon would hit and I would go out to lunch and I'd eat lunch. I'd get really sleepy and it was just a rough time to the point where I told, uh, um, I told a few leaders, I said, you know what, I don't know if I could, if I could teach. And the look on their face was like, what's going on? I said, I just get anxiety. I mean, it started to control my life. It started to wreck me, man. And the only thing that could help me out, I was just trying to like at, look for something when I, I would just talk to my wife and she would give me just great advice. She would hold my hand and I'm not kind of the hand holder. I'm not really an affectionate person at the time. And, and I'm just like, what is going on with me? There's just a major change. And I remember, man, I, I, I got to rely on God. But it took me like a whole month to realize this, to realize that God, you know, I need to rely on him. I need to stop worrying about a drug that the doctor is going to give me that never happened. It never took place. He couldn't find out what was wrong with me. But I started to read my word. The nights that I couldn't sleep, I would literally grab my Bible, go to the the living room, and I I would lay on the couch, and I'd read my Bible, and I'd be like upside down, reading my Bible, just laying on the couch. And it would be the only thing that would get me just to fall asleep, even if it was just for 20 minutes or just an hour, two hours. The Bible would help me. It would just put me to sleep and I would worship God. I remember I wouldn't sleep and it would be like just two hours and I'd be so worried about work and what I'm going to do. And I remember just waking up in the morning, well, I only got two hours of sleep, but you know what? I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes and I'm going to worship God before I get in my car and I go to work. And that would just give me so much strength. This anxiety took me out of character. It just messed me up. And sometimes we're going to reach circumstances in our lives where we're going to be taken out of character to where we're not relying on God's spirit anymore. I'm reminded of a story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to do my best to paraphrase this. But uh, it it said that the kingdom of Israel was at war, but David stayed back and he was the king. And he was kind of looking out his window, and he sees a woman, and she's on top of her roof, and she's bathing herself. And so David, he kind of gets infatuated with this woman. He has his guards bring the woman to him, and he lays with her. The Bible says they became intimate, and she becomes pregnant. But David didn't stop there. David didn't seek the Lord. As a matter of fact, what ends up taking place is that David tells his guards and his servants to go get Uriah, her husband, who was in the battlefield, and, and have him come here to the, king, to, to, to the throne. David tells Uriah, hey, I want you to go home with your wife. But Uriah doesn't do that. Yeah, The Bible says he actually lays on the porch. He doesn't really go inside to see his wife. So David gets frustrated because his plan has been foiled. And so what David does is he says to his servant, go get Uriah and send him back. Send this letter to Joab, who was the commander, and tell him to put Uriah on the front lines to have him killed. And church, that's exactly what takes place. He ends up getting killed. And David tries to get away with this. But what's interesting is that David doesn't mourn about this because he feels relief that it took place. He feels like he probably you know, he probably got away with it. And this was kind of out of character because he doesn't go into the pretense of mourning and he doesn't even try to be hypocritical. He's become that callous to where he's just going to try to get away with it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, it says this, David told the messenger, say this to Joab, the commander, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab, and when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of the mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So David waits till she mourns, and he doesn't mourn. This is way out of character. This is unlike David. See, we see when other mighty men of Israel died, David led the nation in mourning for their loss. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, it says David mourned for Saul and his sons, killed in the battle with the Philistines. And then in Samuel chapter, or in 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 28, David mourned the death of Abner wickedly put to death by Joab. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 10, he even sent a delegation uh, to officially mourn the death of Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. So David would mourn anytime somebody would die, but he didn't mourn this time. And I think it was because it was on his behalf that this person died. David didn't want to think of it. David probably had a calloused heart. And so When Uriah is killed in battle, not a word of mourning comes from David's lips. He is not sorry, but he is relieved that it had happened. In other words, David felt like I outsmarted everybody. I'm going to get away with this, that this is my time to shine. Sometimes we do things that are wrong and know we can get away with it. That's us just thinking high and mighty. Thinking, oh, well, I'm a man of God or I'm a woman of God. I can do whatever I want. I walk in faith that I can do things. I'm I'm above everything. I'm entitled. And I'm here to tell you we cannot have a calloused heart this evening. We need to have a heart of submission. Even when we do things wrong or we get ourselves in trouble, we have to have a heart of submission. See, church, if you don't take care of sin, it can become inflamed in your life. It swells up. It begins to cloud your mind. It, be, it begins to take over your life. And the more you allow sin to just continue to trickle in to your life, you're going to start to see it inflame even more. And now your flesh starts to react. It starts to come out even easier. And while you, while you used to be walking with the Spirit, walking with God, now you're just walking on your own mindset. You're walking in your flesh. And then you begin to respond with emotion. You don't take time out of your life to pray, to think things over. See, I titled this sermon, You'll Never Walk Alone. But you'll only never walk alone if you cry out to God in times where you messed up. Amen? See, there are consequences to your sin, church. That's something David doesn't realize. He ends up starting to think about this deeper when Nathan approaches him. That he starts to realize that his sin can impact others. Look what happens in the rest of the story. And 2 Samuel chapter 13 verses, or I'm sorry, Second Samuel chapter 12 verses 13 to 24. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. So all of a sudden, now David is starting to realize that now it is his son that was born to him is going to die. There's a consequence to sin. I'm here to tell you this evening that there are consequences to sin that can affect other people that are around you that when you sin, you start to mess up, not just your life, but your family's life. You start to mess up your household. See, when you allow sin into your life, into your household, when you allow those things to come through the front door, your, your sin becomes inflamed and it starts to just well up inside your household. You're not only allowing sin into your life, but you're allowing sin into your children's life, to your wife's life. And you're just allowing this to take place. And now you're no longer living by the spirit, but you're living by the flesh. Let's continue to read in verse 15. It goes on to say, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. So now David is begging. David has reached a low point. See, church, he started to beg and started to fast when he realized the consequence. And we can learn from this story that you shouldn't have to think about the consequence. To pray to God. You shouldn't have to think about the consequence of sin to worship the Lord. See, it wasn't until he realized that the consequence was that his child was going to die that he began to just worship God. It said that when the son became sick, David pleaded with God for the child, he fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth. See church, don't wait until something happens to worship God. Don't wait till sin enters your life to worship God. You should be worshiping God every day. When you wake up in the morning, thank God. Give him some praise. Spend the 30 seconds, say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've come and you've saved me. I thank you that I have a roof over my head. I thank you that I'm not living in poverty. Lord, I thank you for my health. These are just simple things that you can do in your life that can change the trajectory of your spiritual outcome, amen? In verse 17, it says the elders of the household stood beside David to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. How sad. The child ends up dying. Now look what happens, church. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. So he asks, is the child dead? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed put up put on lotions and changed his clothes he went into the house of the lord and he worshiped when he then i'm sorry in verse 21 then his attendants asked him why are you acting this way why are you worshiping while the child was alive you fasted and wept but now that the child is dead you get up and eat he answered while the child was still alive i fasted and wept i thought who knows The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Church, don't wait for sin. Don't wait for the consequence. See, David realized, he said, you know what? I can't change the outcome. My child has passed. And I know that this is probably one of the most awful thing a parent can hear. But David here, he kind of sets a tone for himself. He realized, I can't do anything about it. I must go on. But his perspective changed. And I want you to catch this. The Bible says that he says, I will go to him. But he will not return to me. So as he was praying, as he was worshiping, and he was realizing, you know what? You know what, Lord? I didn't want this to happen. You know why? Please save my child. I'm sure he begged God in those those times. God, please don't take my child. I'm fasting. I'm in sackcloth. And what sackcloth was, it was just kind of a, a sack bag that was wrapped around him. And it was, it basically was symbolic that David took off his royal robes. He took off all that royalty, all the authority, his clothing, his rich clothing was gone. He put on sackcloth and it said that he laid on the ground. In other words, he was in complete submission at this point. He reached the ultimate low point. In other words, there is no other way that David can show and beg God. This was the kind of the the biggest straw of how he could say, God, I am taking everything. My authority, I am nothing without you. I can only imagine the things that he told God in that moment. I'm sure in that moment, he pleaded, he begged, he probably cried, he wept. The Bible says he didn't even eat. He had reached a low point, but he gained perspective through that time. Because he mentions at the end of this, I am no longer going to weep. I'm going to eat now. I'm going to get up. I'm going to move on because I know I will go to him if I stay faithful to God. I will see my child again. See church, when things go wrong, you have an opportunity to shift the outcome. You have the ability with Christ inside of you and the Holy Spirit inside of you to continue and shift the outcome to gain perspective that you probably didn't think of. I know there have been times in my life where I've prayed and I've worshiped and I've gained new perspective to overcome the bad things that have come to to me in my life. See, there is no circumstance that God can't raise you up from. There is no horse that God will not put you back up on, okay? And it's important that you realize right now, tonight, that you can obtain the Holy Spirit, you can change your Perspective, if you're going through a tough time, if there's a circumstance that is eating you up inside, clouding your mind, and you can't get away from it, you need to give that to God. You need to usher in praise. I know we've lost loved ones. Some of us, all of us have probably lost loved ones. And those are some of the hardest times to go through. I I remember my family, we even lost a pet. That was even tough. And I remember crying and I'm like, why am I crying for a pet? It's because there's so much pain behind death. But if you could somehow worship God, you will feel the life that he brings into this world. Amen. And right now, I want you to just kind of think about the things that you're going through. Think about what could be clouding you sitting at home. What could be clouding you from praising God? What can be taking you away from the things of God? See, I want you to understand that God made an investment in you. He made an investment. When he saw you, he realized I'm going to invest into this human being. I'm going to invest into humanity. When he put his son on the cross, he made an investment and he's not going to abandon that investment. And so I want to give you guys just kind of three points right now. Three points that you should do when you when you're feel like you're just in a, a mound of circumstance that you can't climb over. Number one, what I want you to do is I want you to react with God. React with God. If you're taking notes, react with God in mind. Sometimes when we react to things, we forget. Like when I was struggling with my anxiety, I forgot. I forgot I had the Holy Spirit in me. I forgot that God wants to move in me. I forgot that God made an investment into me and I could call upon his spirit for strength. I forgot. But you need to react with God. When David saw Bathsheba, he did not react with God in mind. As a matter of fact, he reacted on his own admission, his own will, not God's will. That's why he said, look, bring that woman to me. And that, and I'll tell you right now, if he would just take a moment to pray those things away, to pray the temptation away, to pray those things away and react with God, there would have been a different outcome. When you don't react with God, you are generally flying off the handle. You're flying off your flesh. In other words, you're saying, I'm going to try to get through this on my own. Similar to me. See, I'm going to tell you just, I'm going to kind of end that story of what happened to me with, with anxiety. I started to read my Bible, and I noticed that it was only God's word, prayer, and worship that I could maybe sleep just for a little bit. So I think I've told this story before, but there was a moment where I realized I need to tell somebody, not just my wife. I had told my family. I told my mother, my father, the people that were closest to me. I told them, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm having anxiety. I can't do anything. It's, it's, It's taking over my life. And I remember I called my pastor, Pastor Omar, and I texted, I texted the other pastors at the time. And I said, guys, I'm going through a tough time right now. And I've never gone through this. And I need prayer. I need to talk to somebody. And I went into the, off, the pastor's office. And Pastor Omar told me... And I told him everything, right? He told me, tell me what's going on. So I told him everything. I laid it out there. I was like, I went to the doctor. I did all this and I'm trying to, you know, do this. I'm trying to exercise so I could sleep at night. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things that I read on the internet. And to come to think of it, I I asked Pastor Homer, what should I do? And he says, well, we're going to pray. And I'm like, well, that's it, that's it. That's all we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. And he's like, amen, we're gonna pray. We're gonna believe. And we grabbed hands with my wife and my pastor Omar and sister Letty, and we prayed right there in the pastor's office. And I kid you not, that, that day, I felt breakthrough take place. I remember my wife took me to the store and I told her, you know what? For the first time, I'm walking around this store, Joanne's, that my wife likes to go to. It wasn't a store that I would, I would be fond of, but I would just walk around, I was walking around that store and I realized, I realized, you know what? God has given me peace at this moment. I don't know why this is happening at this moment, but God has given me peace. And it was really God showing me, look, when you react with me and you listen to me and you come with me, I will restore everything that you're asking for. Amen. The second thing, you want to observe things with God. Observe things with God. You want to listen to God. You want to seek godly counsel. Those of us that go through circumstances, we try to do things on our own a lot of the times. You know? and, and, and I'm telling you, that's the wrong thing to do. You need to reach out to a leader. You need to reach out to somebody that loves you, but a godly person, somebody that reads the scriptures, somebody that can hold you accountable, someone that will pray with you. That's who you need to, who you need to reach out to. And you seek that godly counsel in your life. Listen to your leaders and listen to your pastor's. In doing this, that means you're being obedient during these tough times. You're being obedient to God and observing him, uh, observing everything with God in mind. See, same thing I did. I didn't do that. I didn't observe things with God in mind. I tried to fix it on my own. I tried to fix my own uh, disaster that I had created for myself. And sometimes you just need to observe with God. The other thing you need to do is rejoice with God. This is my third point. You need to rejoice with God in everything. Just as David, we learned, rejoiced after he found out, after he realized that his child had died, he began to worship God. It was only then that he began to worship him and, and he kind of got up and he gained his confidence back and you need to rejoice with God. Okay. It's important that we always do this, that we always rejoice in, in the, in the bad times and the ugly times, you should be giving God praise, not waiting, not waiting church for his, for his, him to touch you, not waiting. You have to go seek him and seek him daily. You cannot truly rejoice without true repentance. So you need to keep God in mind. You need to react with God. You need to observe with God. And you need to rejoice with God in all things. I know this can be a tough task to do. Sometimes it's the last thing we think about. When we get bad news, we don't think, oh, we need to rejoice with God. When we think about what's happening right now in our environment, in the world, we need to rejoice with God. That's what we've done here. We got together as pastors and leaders and we said, we're gonna continue on. We're not gonna slow down. We're gonna rejoice. We're gonna believe, trust in God. We're gonna have faith that we're gonna get through this together in unity. See, when you rejoice with God and you put him first in everything, you'll you'll actually be able to, to reach out with each other with God. Now you have a, an army of God's people praying together, worshiping together, putting God first in everything. See, right now, church... Our nation needs us, needs us to rejoice with him, not to panic, but to worship with God and put him first, not thinking about everything else, but having an eternal perspective, thinking about eternity. Amen. And I want to close with this in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19 through 22. It says this people of Zion, it says who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And right now, I want to just kind of share with you, the people of Israel have always struggled with walking in this way. See, I told you the title of this sermon was, You'll Never Walk Alone. And Israel always turned their back throughout the Old Testament, would always receive a blessing from God. Then they would fall into idolatry and sin. Then God would rescue them. And then Israel falls back into sin. Then God provides a blessing. Then Israel falls back into idolatry and sin, and it's this vicious cycle that continues to take place. And we are just like the people of Israel sometimes, where we take this vicious cycle, and we forget about the things of God. We never put Him first. And so I'm here to tell you, you'll never walk alone if you accept Christ into your life. You'll never walk alone if you rely on the Holy Spirit, and you look to Him through any circumstance.